Are you interested in leadership? Welcome to the Menzies Leadership Forum podcast. Tune in for insights and observations about leadership, the challenges and blind spots, attributes and values that you need to lead now and in the future. I'm Liz Gillies, Menzies Foundation CEO and your host today. Let's get started. It's me absolutely great delight to welcome, uh, I can't quite yet say Dr. Cindy Mitchell, but I'm sure it's not far off, to welcome Cindy Mitchell back to the Menzies Leadership Forum. We met Cindy some years ago when she became uh, a Menzies PhD scholar embedded in the work of um, in our platform supporting Indigenous women to be entrepreneurial and providing uh, as an industry PhD fellowship and providing uh, a, the very vital and important uh, role of uh, creating the narrative and being a storyteller that is set at the heart of our work. And uh, Cindy's made just the most extraordinary contribution to the work of Magdana Makers. And I'm just so delighted to welcome her today and to explore her journey over the last couple of years and what the PhD, um, what knowledge it's surfaced, how it's informed our work. So, Cindy, a warm, warm welcome to you. Thank you so much, Liz, for inviting me to come back and give everyone an update. So, Cindy, perhaps we'll start with, perhaps could you just explain a little bit about the genesis of the PhD and the sort of um, what the focus area has been? as a way of just sort of grounding us and building a bridge between our last conversation and this one. Okay. Um, So in our collaboration um, in exploring Kimberly Aboriginal women's sort of entrepreneurship and and leadership, obviously the Menzies Foundation has convened uh, this wonderful consortium that uh, consists of Kimberly Degas, which is a fantastic business um, based in East Kimberly, led by Natasha Short, uh, Good Return, which is a, an international NGO that specializes in uh, economic inclusion and par- building partnerships around women's economic empowerment. And then uh, Swinburne University. Um, so I came along um, as part of this collaboration. In the early days, Liz, I think it would be safe to say not really clear exactly what it would look like and what it would mean uh, to actually have a PhD student embedded in this. Um, but very early on, um, it became really apparent to me. I had the privilege, you know, to come in as a PhD student and basically from day one be embedded in the collaboration team. So I got to listen to the conversations to really watch how um, this this project has been evolving between the partners on the ground and then being able to sort of see, ah, th- there's a gap here or, or an opportunity. There's something that hasn't been surfaced, which is really about how Kimberly Aboriginal women are venturing. Um, and that would be an opportunity then for me to sort of craft our research questions around it. Um, and also, I think the other part of it is understanding that this is, you know, very much an Indigenous-led collaboration, but it's, especially in those early days, it's really Natasha Short. Like, Natasha is our program ambassador. And that that's a huge impost. That's a huge um, weight for you know, a woman to to carry a leader to carry in addition to running a business, and I think very early, particularly in Liz in those early collaboration team meetings, I felt that as a fellow black woman, as a as a fellow woman of color, watching her educate, um, articulate, just just explain really that the, the really unique context, and I think I felt uh, an opportunity and really a. a a responsibility as a researcher to to share some of that cultural load 
Um, and I think in in some ways that then is what led me down the path of the of the methodology that I chose to do, the way I chose to go about doing this research, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. We will. So, Cindy, uh, the, the whole this work started, the Menzies Foundation initiated this project back in the sort of 2019, and it came from our um, us attending a Asia Managed Philanthropy Network conference, actually, and just hearing the very powerful stories that Rockefeller and Gates and other foundations were surfacing in their work with women and entrepreneurship and venturing in other contexts and with a um, question about why weren't we doing the same thing with Indigenous women, um, you know, the sort of very tangible um, benefits that the women in these other contexts spoke about was the imperative or the implications of wealth building and venturing on themselves, their families and their communities. And so um, we were um, interested in the what – what was the question that your PhD ultimately focused on that, um, you know, I suppose was sort of centred on this idea of venturing and why was it important? Why was this narrative so important, do you think, in the way that our partnership and our collaboration has emerged yeah. over the last couple of years? Look, those observations around the role, the catalytic potential of women's economic empowerment and all these other contexts are very well known and very, very clear in the academy. Um, and so that question around, well, why is it or is it actually happening? Well, I think what we found was that it is, in fact, happening. It has always happened, but it has been in some ways hidden under this, under some really uh, long held kind of deficit narratives around um, Aboriginal people, uh, and particularly uh, Kimberly Aboriginal women. So our question was, um, is how do Kimberly Indigenous women, and we use the, the Creole uh, uh, strong Bawa women, uh, how do to specifically talk about women who are connected to to those countries uh, in the Kimberly region of WA, how do strong Bawa women conceptualize their entrepreneurial process? Um, so it, it that question in of, it, of itself presumes that there is one. There is a way of increasing um, that which one values. That is that that is what entrepreneurship, I tend to use the word venturing, um, because uh, because of all the sort of connotations that sometimes people have with respect to that term entrepreneurship. But basically, the first question was, how do strong Bravo women conceptualize their entrepreneurial process? How do they conceptualize their motivation? So obviously, we know traditional Anglo Western European way of thinking about business. It's always about profit, um, and, you know, and about increasing economic wealth and economic potential. That's a really good thing. But what 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 specifically, but those motivations are very contextual. Um, and there's a whole big, you know, discipline uh, internationally looking at looking at this in different um, indigenous communities. We do know that um, that motivations are different and that and then um, those motivations then uh, dictates what the process is. And so that was one of our questions. And then the third question um, was, how do strong Bible women conceptualize? What did they understand as their entrepreneurial challenges? So again, there are lots of, you know, there's a whole indigenous entrepreneurship industry uh, in this country and particularly in Northern Australia that that sort of has program logic around around the way it provides support, the way it looks at um, trying to solve the the capital problem. But it those uh, those approaches kind of bring their own conceptualizations about what the challenges are. And we actually wanted to move all that language and, and thought aside for a minute and really try to build this from the ground up. So those are that's those are the questions that we um, were able to to answer. I think Cindy, 
as someone who's sat in the collaboration team and watched as your PhD has um, come to fruition, one of the really, I think, significant, really significant contributions has been the methodology that you've employed. And I, I, I sort of, you know, it's fair to say, you know, over the course of the PhD, there's sort of been some, I think, healthy tension, but tension sometimes between the sort of academy and the way that the academy or universities structure and think about PhDs. And uh, as as in comparison with, for instance, my voice as part of the supervisory team, which was around its relevance and how much it informed the way that we our work continued to develop and the sort of translation mechanism. And I think, Cindy, you've done a most extraordinary job in navigating those two construct, you know, those two in sometimes constraining or different vantage points around surfacing deep knowledge, the deep respect to the way the academy thinks you want to do that, but also positioning the insight and the way you went about the work such that it's been enormously influential in building out our platform. So can you talk a little bit about the methodology and what you did, Cindy, because I think it's a really, you know, a significant contribution to how these sorts of platforms are so important in emergence and this sort of work. And look, I I think your point, it, it had to be those two things. So in the sense of this this tension. So the one thing that we're doing is we're surfacing indigenous knowledges. So they are the and and what we're whenever we're talking about that, we're talking about sovereignty. So we're talking about we are um basically uh surfacing knowledge that is very clear and apparent to people on the ground, um, but has so often been misappropriated, misunderstood by a whole range of actors. Um, and so there was this level, first of all, it was, it was how can Cindy, so Cindy, I'm a, um, an African-American and Creek Indian woman. I'm a migrant to Australia. I've lived here for, um, here on Nullawal, Nambri country for the last 20 years. And here I am trying to understand, uh, or put myself in a position where I can, uh, articulate knowledges that don't belong to me or, or my country. So there, there's a tension that lives in there, that lives there. So, and the way that for me, I had to do that very much. Um, so the methodology is we talk about indigenous standpoint theory. So the question is, how does a non-indigenous person use indigenous standpoint theory? Um, and this is what I explore in, in my thesis. And it has to do with with deep uh, introspection, um, deep standpoint work. So me understanding all the stuff that I bring to an understanding of Kimberly Aboriginal women's experience and being really um, quite brutal in that times, um, you know, hard on myself in some ways, like to, to understand that I'm bringing a whole lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily belong in the interface with a relational people. So we're talking about, um, Aboriginal, an understanding of, of Aboriginality, um, that is you, you exist to, to, to the extent of your, your interconnections with other things, other people, non-human things, uh, with country as well. So there's a, a circularity and a really well understood way, um, I guess, when it comes to indigenous thinking. And I had to sort of figure out how I could put myself in the interface. We talk about this thing called the cultural interface, um, to be able to be a vessel um, for these knowledges. And the only way I could do that was to be in deep relationship. So going back to this collaboration, um, Natasha Short is 
not only a, a partner and a founder in, in this uh, collaboration, but she is my co-researcher in this work. And it is only through my relationship with Natasha and the people that she is in relationship with that I'm able to, um, you, you know, that I basically, that, that my research is valid. So we're talking about the validity of access and cultural knowledge, and it has to do with deep partnership and deep respect. Um, and, you know, and throughout that sort of process, being able to to honor that. But then the question becomes, well, what for what purpose? Um, the the academy has inflicted over you know two hundred years so much trauma on Kimberly Aboriginal people and specifically Kimberly Aboriginal women. Um, their their stories, um, their sacred law. You know, often you can find it in textbooks and in libraries and in ways that that are deeply deeply disrespectful. And so I kind of I had to bring, I had to carry that weight. Um, in some ways, of expectation that I was going to get this wrong, um, and that I wasn't going to do it right, and then I wasn't going to, and, and so yeah, I was constantly sort of doing that. But then the whole thing is about well, for what purpose? So research is only valid to the extent that it contributes to the project of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander sovereignty. So now this this work that we're doing really is about okay, well, what do we do with this? If we understand something about the way Kim, that is something unique about. Uh, Kimberly Aboriginal venturing, then it calls, it screams <laughs> to the ecosystem that the ecosystem has to respond to this. So it now it's it's that responsibility, this obligation that I created as a research student. I don't get to just sort of just that that that's not discharged magically when I get a PhD. I am now in a relationship with Kimberly Aboriginal women, and so to now be in a position, thanks to this partnership, to continue now pragmatically to figure out, okay, what does this mean in terms of the way this that way that we support women? What does it mean in terms of the way that we capitalize their businesses? What does it mean in terms of the way we talk about their leadership journey? This is now the next horizon that I'm so excited that I get to continue to be and part of. Cindy, give us some detail about how that what did that actually mean in terms of how you did the work? Yeah. Yeah. Um look, a lot of it has to do with um so for example, it's about how you collect data. So typically when you're doing indigenous research of any sort, um, me as the student ethnographer pops, you know, pops up, always has to be in the dry season, the great time of year, you know, goes out on country um, and with a big notebook and lots of, you know, lo and lots of recording. And basically you take, you extract um, uh, information and you bring it back and you do your little research and your coding and all these sort of things. I couldn't do that. <laughs> Um, because that approach, what um, that approach to working with um, indigenous knowledges has basically broke, made it really difficult um, for any ethnographer, particularly one that was trying to do it quite relationally, um, to be able to generate new data. And so, one of the ways that you demonstrate respect um, is to to actually make sure that you fully immerse yourself in what already exists. So through my part, our partnership with Natasha Short, Natasha is a master storyteller. Um, and what she had been doing um, and what was supported to continue doing over the course of our collaboration was she was having these amazing yarns um, with, uh, with Kimberly Aboriginal women. So basically her aunties, people that she was related to um, culturally, and, these, uh, and, and the first iteration of this was the Kimberly Shiro's podcast series. So if you haven't listened to that, you, you're bad. You must go find it uh, on wherever you get your podcast. Um, these are deeply intimate uh, yarns between Natasha 
And, uh, you know, another um, one of her sheroes, uh, typically, talking about not only their business, but their lives uh, and their their way, how um, business, basically their, their motivations for business, their early childhood. Where I'm getting at is there was a huge treasure trove of data that already existed. And for me um, to be in respectful relationship with Kimberly Aboriginal women for the knowledges that they had already put out into the public domain, my first thing was I had to consume those things and consume them in a way then and go back to them and say, well, based on my sort of understanding of entrepreneurship and also the things culturally, um, emotionally that I bring to the interface, this is what I have observed. These are, And so that then made it more, much more of a conversation. So then the process in terms of how I was doing this, rather than just sort of taking large amounts and coming back with, okay, this is what, this is what, you know, you've said to me. Um, it was much, it was many more conversations and much more iterative in terms of understanding across a big trove of data that had been collected over, over quite a long period of time. And also through some additional interviews that I was able to do, but also the way that we end up using photography um, to be able to try to capture uh, ideas about what this process was. So the other sort of unique um, aspect of this uh, is a methodology that Natasha and I co-created. Basically, we call it photo elicitation. So we were using images. Um, for those of you who haven't had the privilege of going to the Kimberley, it is an amazingly beautiful place. Um, and Kimberley women mob just love photos. You very rarely find people who aren't some sort of photographer or, you know, really into, into images and imagery. Um, and it's a very culturally, um, I guess, appropriate way of talking about ideas and being able to explore ideas. And so we sort of very early in our, in our um, collaboration, this is at the time with Natasha and also our other co-investigator, Marie Cutler-Nurova, um, we basically identified if we could, if we could show the women pictures, um, it became a really good way, a good uh, a solid way to get these really, um, I guess, more esoteric ideas about venturing and about purpose and about motivation out into the open. So again, this is not knowledge that 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 this this knowledge already existed. It already existed in their hearts and minds. It just hadn't been surfaced and it hadn't been articulated in a way that we could then use it pragmatically to hopefully improve development uh, outcomes and, and and these sort of things. And so the photographs became a way of doing that. And so. Working with IATIS, um, and I had the amazing opportunity to work with them um, with with the Romtic program, which is about getting things that were in the archives sort of locked away. Um, actually, a lot of them were Kimberly Aboriginal um, people's photographs. Actually, taking those back to the Kimberly and using them to then host or facilitate these um, these beautiful yarns with women um, about them and about their ideas is how we were then able to over months of doing this with, with photos, we were able to sort of surface what we, eight themes. Um, and there's a whole rationale for why I talk about them as threads, but we'll come back to that. Um, but basically eight themes that sort of characterize, again, Strombala women's um, venturing motivation, challenges, and, um, and, and process. And so we continuing in that sort of visual theme that visual way of doing that, um, I've communicated that back to them visually as well. So I was able to- We'll get into that in a minute. I just want to ask one question. One of the really interesting 
there's been so many interesting things that have come from this work, Cindy, but we've had uh, sitting in the middle of the Kimberley in the desert recently, um, you we had a, a really interesting discussion with a number of these women who contributed their stories and their narratives about the sort of positionality of the work, if you like. And can you just, I just think it's worth exploring that, you know, who owns the work, whose work is it, how those women felt about the stories being shared. I just think it was a really fascinating and important perspective on, you know, research, if you like. Can you just share sort of that before we get into the theme? Yeah, look, uh, and had me to, and it's so, you know, I, I of course love that you're into this because this is great. <laughs> but to me, it's like, I don't know any other way. I, I was so... I needed to be so deeply embedded. I had to make myself to be in the interface, the cultural interface with Kimberly Aboriginal women was to make myself accountable in a way that they are accountable. Now, I don't even remotely approach that, right? Because I'm not, it's not my country, but I had to be obligated because it's only through those obligations that you're able to get true story. <laughs> you're not going, you're not going to be responsible for truth in that, in that sort of you know, traditional way without without that. So anyway, I, I guess it, in in talking about this and what that practically looks like, it it has been throughout my research sort of practice as I've gone through this to talk about these 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 are their research findings. They aren't my research findings. This knowledge belongs to Kimberly Aboriginal women. So then, you know, yes, I everyone understands these are these are brilliant women. Many of them have PhDs themselves. Like they understand the process. This is but but for me, it was always being really clear that I'm not going to do anything with this without you. And I'm not going to do anything without anything with this that you don't want me to do because I now I remain in relationship with you and accountable to you for these findings, separate to an examination process, separate to, you know, me getting a degree or or those sorts of things. Like that's sort of the that's a and then maybe that in and of itself is a different way of thinking about research that it is a that it is a for me a lifelong relationship and a and a commitment to maintaining the integrity of that truth and their sovereignty and their ability to to like I I have a title in Magda Makers. I was a story weaver. Um and it was always really clear that it wasn't up my stories and I'm weaving, but of course there are going to be aspects of myself that are in this now too. Um and so for that purpose I need to continue to be in this relationship. So but, but Cindy, what was also so fascinating in that sort of the discovery of that and in very frank and honest and open conversations um, in as that process evolved, there was a real sense from the women themselves, and you've alluded to it, but it would be great just to unpack it a little bit more, about how sick they are, sick they are of being researched. Um, there's just, there was this, this general, you know, people have taken their stories or used research for their own purposes for um, too long and that the women were are very strong about this nexus that you talk about that can you just explain a little bit on that because it was it was like it was hot and heavy at times wasn't it Cindy oh, wasn't yeah. it you know we weren't a pussyfooting around this was like the real it was yeah it was deeply um confronting challenging you know I, I, there were definitely moments when I'm thinking well you know I could be doing something else right now like you know I, I used to make 
pretty good salary. And now I'm a full-time PhD student. Like I've given up some things here too, but it was sort of like, and they were also like, well, actually we've given up a lot of things to researchers in the past. Let me tell you about the things we've given up. You know, it's like your little, your little three years, <laughs> this, is, this is not what you're doing. This is great, but you're supposed to do this. Like that and those were the sort of, you know, sometimes the, the hot and heavy tension. Um, but, but I think, you know, to me, I think that was the fundamental thing. Like, I just think about the first time I got off the plane in Kananar. It was like, you weren't, these are very savvy people. These are very, um, these are also, you know, they are community leaders. They are people who, who they understand the value of their knowledge. Okay. And so to have, to have a research student come along to, and not be really, really clear about what's the purpose, what's in it for them. No, I don't mean like, you know, payment or, I mean, sometimes that's part of it, but I mean, what is your purpose? How is what you are trying to extract from me today (laughs) when I have such, you know, such a heavy cultural load and, you know, family load and, you know, professional load? How is that going to pragmatically improve the outcomes for my people tomorrow? Um, And if you can't demonstrate that, then get back on the plane (laughs) or go and, you know, be a tourist. Like, otherwise, leave me alone. And I think that was really clear, uh, you know, very much upfront. And it was wonderful that, you know, I had a supervisory team and, you know, and a university. And then I, I also think some maturity to understand that 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 I was constantly on trial. I was constantly, you know, needing to demonstrate that that I was there for the long haul and that I was there for a purpose that was more than me just getting something. Because they've seen it. They've seen it over and over again of people really clever, great minds, you know, coming in, they get the degree and the next thing you know, they work for NIAA or BHP or whatever, they're Dr. So-and-so and they're making these great salaries and then you never see them again. Um, and that was, that was how, do you, how are you not going to be like that? Um, it was really this idea of extractive versus regenerative, wasn't it? This idea of are you extracting knowledge or are you actually constantly thinking about how the knowledge becomes regenerative around that purpose that you talked about? And Sydney, it's just, I just think that's so profound and important. Straight that um, in relationship, then it's like every, and it's not just, I can't just express this enough. It's not just the people. Yes, I have amazing friendships now. I have wonderful aunties that at times have been, you know, uh, I've made, I've made um, angry um, and, you know, we've had tensions at times, but these are relationships, but it's also with their country. This is also a place like this country is an agent in this. Um, and this isn't like hoodoo stuff. This is the reality of indigenous research is to understand that you are doing, that you are collaborating with people who are in ancient and um, unknowable um, relationship with place. Um, and that that then incorporates how, and I can't tell you, Liz, how many times, even, you know, to this day, at least several times a day, a week, you know, somehow the Kimberly or some connection to the Kimberly inserts itself into my life and into this work. Um, and I know that that to me, it's like, all right, I know I'm doing right because that's that that's the Kimberly and she's letting us know that she's here um, and that she approves and that, yeah, that she's part of this with with and on behalf of her people. One of the really, I think, wonderful demonstrations of all that you've said was the way that you've chosen to present the thesis and just as a way of setting up a conversation about the themes that emerged as a result of you doing or being involved in this work, Cindy, just talk a little bit about what I think is an amazing gift to these women and the way that you chose to represent uh, the thesis. 
Um, so as I mentioned throughout the process, as we were starting to articulate the themes that I'll tell you about in a minute, um, we were using images, um, and photographs. And one of the things that I wanted to do, um, to sort of put this all back together in a, in a, in a form, one of the things that, um, I didn't want, I knew it was the first Margaret to make a story weaver, but I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be the last. And so thinking about, well, how then does the business club, um, how does this group of women who've chosen to organize themselves as a club, how do they take this, this data that, that has been surfaced with them and on their behalf? Um, how do they then use it? How do they use it to share with their daughters? How do they use it to share in other community contexts? Whatever they wanted to do with it. And I, I was kind of had this, um, this idea that a 90,000 word piece <laughs> was probably not going to be the most ideal way of being able to do that. Um, and I wanted to basically give it back to them in the way they gave it back to me, which was visually. Um, and so what I ended up doing was uh, work with an amazing artist, a broom artist, her name is Rebecca Morgan, um, a contemporary artist. And we were able to um, just through a yarn with this uh, amazing artist, she's actually also part of the club. And as I started talking to her about this sort of emerging themes, I literally just gave her a list, like a, t a document with the with one sentence um, for each of the themes. And she came up with this amazing artwork. Um, and that now is, you know, that is basically Stung Bala Women is what we call it. And we've given that um, in, back to the club. So what does that mean? Technically, that is their intellectual property. It, it, it incorporates all of the it basically is how we've encoded the the themes that arose from this research. So, Cindy, for those listening to the podcast, we must get a, a vision of uh, um, visiting that up on the website so people can see it. But can you, using that painting and perhaps describing the painting, can you just um, talk us through the things, the themes that have emerged in the work and the and the sort of insights that we've got that have formed the foundation for how the collaboration has continued to um, develop and move forward. I know it's a lot to ask you, Cindy, but I know you're up for it. So if, you, if everybody can imagine an extraordinary piece of art that's truly beautiful of itself, can you perhaps try and draw a picture of how the themes are represented in the work of art? And as I said, we will put it up on the website so that people can actually have a look at it because it must be driving people mad they can't see it. But nevertheless, Cindy, do your best. Talk okay. through so, things. So first, so back to the research question. So one um, is about the Strombala women's entrepreneurial process. And one of the things that we talk about, um, one of the foundation sort of creation stories in the East Kimberley is Theramundi dreaming. And so one of the themes is our our venturing process is like fishing. And so one of the one of the symbols um, that are embedded in this artwork is Theramundi, is, is, is a fish. So what does that mean? What does fishing have to do with um, adventuring? We're talking about a process that is not linear, that is iterative, that it's not like like when do you go fishing? Um, when you when you can. <laughs> um, also, who goes with you? Well, whoever's around. Um, so, and also, what happens on a fishing trip? Fishing um, is not just about subsistence or sort of economic, you know, getting food. It's also cultural activity. Um, and so if we start to break down that, so in that one symbol of Baramundi, it allows us to express many, many, many ideas about the cult, the role of venturing as a cultural activity, as a way of including one's family, the role of language and the role of country, and the fact that we don't think of it as typically when we think of business, you got the sort of traditional hockey stick, right? 
Um, whereas for a Kimberly Aboriginal woman's business, it might be much more iterative. Where there might be cycles where you know she's really focused on 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 that business, and then there might be for a whole range of reasons periods of time. But there might be six months, could be six years, um, where she's not engaged in that business at all. And then at some point, when she then has the capacity, she's back into that business, and that that is normal. That's not a, a deficit. It's something that's broken that needs to be fixed. That that is part of the the process, the sort of entering process. Um, our our families are at the center. So it's one of the um, um, one of the themes that emerge. And so you think about many of us, obviously in the Western world, we know about family businesses. That's 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 one way of thinking about it. But also the idea that that the purpose of venturing is to reconnect and and engage with members of one's family. Um, and the way that we sort of articulate that on the um, on the painting, it's a series of, of sort of symbols. Um, uh, um, get, I'll, <laughs> we'll have to put the image up, but because I'm not going to be able to sort of point out every every um, all eight of them um, on this on this call. But yeah, there's an image around around family and the idea that family is the so, so t- rather than it being a firm. So it's me. It's you know it's Cindy Majelle being you know with this number. It's actually the conglomeration of family members who are available to venture with me at that given time. And also at that particular time, and also that I might be participating in ventures of other family members, so maybe my partner, my sister, my daughter, and that all of that works. Um, that yeah, that so it's across across firms, but within often within families. Um, one of the other um, themes that has to do with the process and talk about images. One of the images on our painting is a chevron of birds, migrating birds. Um, And the way that we sort of use that is to talk about the role of non-Indigenous allies. So we um, this became such a rich metaphor for thinking about um, the role of non-Aboriginal people in Kimberly Aboriginal women's venturing process and the fact that there is a role. There is a role for allies um, who are able to, to help um, and like that sort of migratory bird at times, we need non-Indigenous women to lead. Now, so we have all these ideas today around around sovereignty and around, well, you know, it's not a Black business. It doesn't have a Black CEO. Um, well, our, as we sort of surfaced these ideas with the women and the, and the way they shared it back to us was actually there is sometimes a reason to have a non-Indigenous ally out front. Um, and there is also time for that person to then sort of yield their um, their position and take a different position in the in the in the chevron. Um, and so thinking about and thinking about when that happens and how that happens and for what purpose, um, that particular visual image became really, really, um, really resonant for thinking about that aspect of the process. Um, and then when it comes to motivation, we talk about, one of the the images that we use in the center of this this painting, you, you guys can't see. Um, basically, it's a Kulaman shape, so um, so a big circle with lots of sort of half circles um, all around it, and it's talking. And that has come to basically symbolize uh, relational wealth. So relational wealth is what comes from our interactions with other humans and non-human living things. Um, and basically, this this is. Um, this is the major sort of purpose in terms of what, why, why are we doing this? We're trying to increase our level of, of relate, um, of relationship, um, with country, um, with our family, with community and with kin. 
Um, and that Kulaman image, you immediately sort of you understand that if if that if that is tight, um, then there there's going to be some tensions there between this type of wealth, so relational wealth and economic wealth. So at what point is the economic wealth um, now making the relational wealth impossible, or there's or vice versa? Like there's a there's a tension um, that that lives between those, and it sort of is represented in the center of our um, of our our painting. Um, and then the, I'll, I'll do one more. Um, when it comes to challenges, one of the one of the central themes that you'll see is a symbol that Rebecca has used that represents either flood or fire. And these are very. Um, and this what this represents is um, that the fact that that Kimberly Aboriginal women contend with the impacts of trauma. Um, and those those two images, either flood or fire. Those are those are women's um, uh, symbols, so they are appropriate in in this sort of context. But we're often talking about things that um, uh, people understand the challenges when we talk about the remoteness of Kimberly, um, the, the the levels of poverty, the women's ex- women's experience of violence, um, family domestic violence are you know serious you know issues. But but and so it's those things. But there there's also this other more insidious, um, what do they call? So like, if you think about um, things about flood and fire, is there sort of charismatic disasters, right? These are things that often you, what they do is it actually shows up failures in infrastructure <laughs> and failures in, 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 in that sort of thing. They're, they're very particular types of, um, of, uh, of, of trauma. And that really gets to thinking about the fact that these women are venturing in a system that was designed specifically for their oppression. It was designed specifically to hold them down. And now we're actually asking them to move within this system and somehow (laughs) be okay. Um, And yet they have to continually contend um, with, with trauma um, going through that. And so, and that's how they wanted to, to represent it. Yeah, Cindy, as I said, I'm looking for it. I'm sure that everybody's going to click straight through to that, um, to the beautiful bit because it really is an extraordinary way of understanding also the nexus between these things. And, and so, Cindy, uh, you've just recently moved uh, from PhD scholar to program director of the platform. Perhaps to anchor that and to explain how the ambition of the um, collaboration is to move from just focusing on the Kimberley to, to sort of taking what we've learned from the Kimberley and with and the support of the women who've been such an important part of that journey, how we might look at building out a um, at least a national, maybe a global network of Indigenous women around venturing. How have those themes anchored um, the work going forward? How does this narrative anchor the work going, going forward to your new role as Program Director of um, the collaboration and of Magdana Makers. Talk a little bit about what the plans are for the future, Cindy. Yeah. And look, in terms of, I guess, what's next with these stories, um, these stories, we've had this, I've had this, you know, amazing privilege and opportunity in the Kimberley, you know, because of the re, you know resources and support to articu- articulate this in the Kimberley, but this exists in other places. Um, this exists in, you know, the Pilbara, in the Gasket, in Arnhem Land, in the Central Desert. Like there are other communities of women who are venturing and who are trying to articulate a movement in a way that we now have articulated in the Kimberley. And what I what I understand now is my role post 
PhD, but still very much in relationship with with Magda makers, is they they basically see this as 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 boba as wealth that they want to then share with women um, in other communities, and so that's really our next sort of that's the next horizon is to to share this knowledge and these stories um, and this you know the themes and and the artwork and. Um, with women in different communities, and we've, we've already received some some invitations from you know traditional custodians and, and women leaders in other communities, and we think that's very much culturally the way this needs to work. So oftentimes, when you think about sort of program replication or expanding a program, um, you think, well, you know, I've got, I've got a model, I've got a program logic, and I'll just go rent a room and run a program. Well, this isn't quite how we're trying to do this because we're trying to build deep relationships, but also be respectful of the relationship that we have, which is, you know, our central, um, you know, our central set of relationships in the Kimberly. So then you think, well, for what purpose? Well, it's all about figuring out how we take this model um, that has been so brilliantly engineered by, you know, with good, with good return and, and Kimberly Diego's, um, you know, and, and, and the foundation support, how do we take this now and make this a model that somebody can actually pay for? Um, because it does create wealth. It does create, it does build um, women's ventures. It does have all these sort of economic outcomes, but at the moment we were sort of missing some pieces in terms of being able to actually make that translate into better, you know, economic outcomes for, for, for um, Kimberly women's or indigenous women's businesses and how they're able to be able to access finance for those businesses. I think one of the most interesting things that's emerged most recently and how we're thinking about this work going forward, Cindy, is in many ways, venturing and entrepreneurship or economic business economic development comes about has some fundamental aspects to it that are really important in terms of a, a, and very much at the heart of what these women aspire for themselves and for their communities. And that is this idea about agency and autonomy that wealth building unlocks them from deficits and disadvantage and provides an alternative way of thinking. Uh, What's been really interesting, which I think is a, the place that some of our work is starting to coalesce around, is this idea of venturing business entrepreneurship being a tool for agency, autonomy and wealth building, as in the entrepreneurship isn't itself the destination. It's what thinking and working in this way unlocks for this women. And increasingly, I'm seeing it manifest as a sort of Indigenous women's leadership movement, like how do we unlock and, and support these Indigenous women who are extraordinary in terms of what they manage in their lives, the work they do, their commitment to not only um, wealth building but to their families, to their communities, to the planet. This sort of idea of what is Indigenous women's leadership and how do we understand what we need to put in place to um, see these women for the extraordinary leaders they are and um, build platforms and networks and opportunities for them to come together in their strength, I suppose, is something that's really clearly emerging me for me in the work as we take it from just in the Kimberley to thinking about it more in both a national and a, at least regional sense. I don't know, it's probably a good place to finish. Cindy, how, what's your thinking about that? in terms of how we're positioning it. I, I just go back to, to what they told me. You know, one of the themes articulated by Auntie Pat um, Torres, our, our ventures are vehicles for social and economic justice. So if you're thinking, if you are thinking about your Bush Foods business as more than just uh, a, a, 
Like that fundamentally changes then the the actions that you take, the way that you're doing advocacy, the way that you're moving around in the world and 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 through your business and what sort of partners, what sort of things you say yes to, what sort of things you say no to, having that level of sort of having a political understanding of the role of, of your business and feeling that your business is a, is a platform for, for those things that matter to you and to your community. That's, that's a different way. That's a different way of thinking, but that is a uniquely, that's something that we're seeing every day. Um, you know, not just the Kimberly, but across the indigenous entrepreneurship movement that I think is very unique um, and that needs to be surfaced because then to your point, you know, it, we talk, we then can make that connection in terms of talking about, well, we're nation building here. This is a movement for, for Aboriginal sovereignty. We need leaders who feel like, who have that agency, who have that self-efficacy. So to what extent is venturing like, you know, it's like a leadership training academy um, to prepare them for then, you know, the next role and the next opportunity, whether they become, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or they grow their own, you know, business, they get bought out by private equity. Those are great outcomes. But also if they stay in community and become CEO of their local community controlled organization, like that's, these are all things that are, that are, you know, consistent with our project, which is around um, indigenous sovereignty and, and nation building. So increasingly, Cindy, we're having more conversations, I think, about uh, less conversations about the imperative of profit and revenue and more conversations about flourishing communities and thinking and working at that space in between where we can unlock the power and potential of, of Indigenous women and deeply appreciate the profound contribution that they make through wealth building or entrepreneurship or venturing to, as I said, flourishing communities is, I just think, offers us so much promise for the future. And it's about, uh, to me, like, you know, I, I, you know, come from, from business and, and, you know, venture capital background. I'm not underselling the importance of revenue. Like you do need to actually, you know, have a unique sell inquisition and then meet a client need. And, you know, we're not, we're saying, but we're talking about the other forms of value that are created, that are material, that are real, that is real value that somehow needs to be factored into what this business is trying to do. And that right now as society, we tend to look at it as an impost or a deficit or why are they doing that? Well, they are creating value. And if we're able to sort of somehow unlock that value, we can accelerate this movement. Cindy, that's a marvellous way to finish. So much opportunity and potential to continue to build on the great work. I just on behalf of the Menzies Foundation, Cindy, want to acknowledge the really important role you've played the uh I, for one, deeply appreciate that you took three years out of your life to do a PhD scholarship, um, and for the but extraordinary contribution that has made. How fundamental that has been to the development of our collaboration. How the this notion of storyteller, story weaver has to, it's just it's so important. It sits at the heart of these conversations, so that we do things with people rather than to people. And I just. The Menzies Foundation could not be more grateful for the contribution you've made and with so with Natasha, with Tash and with the um all with the amazing women we've connected with in the Kimberley, so excited about how we take this work forward. So thank you, Cindy, very much. I'm gonna put but make sure we put the um painting up on yeah. the website and um Cindy, look forward to touching base again in the not too uh, distant future to continue to tell this really wonderful story. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you.